This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So we bring you a special episode after this morning. Sad news that former Liverpool manager Gerard Houllier has passed away at the age of 73. I'm Matt Addison, with me Christian Walsh, Joe Rimmer and Dan Kay. Here as we look back at the life of Gerard Houllier, who won five major trophies at Anfield, including the famous treble in 2001, and brought so much more to the football club besides. We'll have a discussion a little bit later on in the show about the Champions League draw, where Liverpool were paired with Bundesliga side RB Leipzig. Plus, look ahead to the huge game with Jose Mourinho's Tottenham on Wednesday night. But Christian, there's only one place to start. Liverpool fans have fond memories of Gerard Houllier, who was, of course, Liverpool manager between 1998 and 2004, and rightly so. Absolutely. I think it's a, a very, very sad day for a lot of Liverpool fans. For every Liverpool fan, I think no matter what generation you, you come from, um, you recognise that the achievements of Gerard Houllier, you recognise what he did for the football club. Um, I think he was certainly for me uh, and I think for you know a few people on this podcast, very much the first great manager, if you will, uh, certainly the first major trophy winner manager that's not to do the, the league cup any of the service but you know we won the league cup we won the fa cup and then uefa cup um all within you know four or five months of each other which was a, an incredible achievement turned the club around when it needed it most uh, changed the culture of the club brought back you know some of those really famous anfield nights that we had grown up being told about by our fathers our grandfathers and a, a very a very sad day um I think what what he achieved at Liverpool will always be remembered. It has been remembered, um, and yeah, it's just a just 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 a, an over an overwhelming feeling of sadness. I feel, but also a a chance to sort of reflect and 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 realise what a what a fantastic manager and more importantly, what a fantastic man he was, um, both at Liverpool and and in general. Yeah, Liverpool, Paris Saint-Germain, the French national team, Lyon, plenty more teams as well that he's managed, Joe. It's clear from the sort of outpouring of emotion this morning from all quarters just how well thought he was, you know, as Christian says, on and off the pitch. Yeah, and I think I think Christian just, just nailed it there when he said that it was more than him being a football manager, it was a man. And I think anyone you speak to who's ever dealt with Gerard Houllier speaks so highly of him, um, you know, and I think... It's no surprise that so many ex-players and people in football and fans are mourning today because he was um, a special manager, but more importantly, a very, very special man. And he was somebody that I just thought got Liverpool from the word go. And, you know, he he held the club in such high esteem. And, you know, he, even when he left, he left with grace and, and talked about the club well in the years that followed. For me personally, he was the first manager that made Liverpool really feel like Liverpool. Um, you know, the... Liverpool, the, the way that my dad and, and people like that had talked about them, you know, growing up before the age of, say, 10, you know, I don't really feel like I kind of got that. And then when Julio came along and, and that season, when, of course, they won the treble and put Liverpool back on the map, so to speak, he made them feel like a big deal again. And I don't know, he just, he made me fall in love with football properly, you know, before, again, before, before Julio. I must admit, I wasn't that interested in football. You know, you like the goals, you like the kits, you like certain players. Robbie Fowler comes to mind. But but after Boulier came in, I started to really realise, I suppose, what the football club was all about. You know, what a manager does, how important a manager is. And 
Yeah, and, and and why those big special occasions are so special for, for supporters and for families and that sort of thing. So um, it brought a lot of happiness to a lot of Liverpool fans, to, to wider football fans, to fans of Leon, to fans of PSG. So um, he'll be missed. Pretty gutted. Yeah, pretty gutted. Um, pretty rubbish day. Yeah, it, it came as a, a big shock, Dan. I'm sure you've got plenty <laughs> of memories yourself of, of his time at, at Liverpool. And just to, to go back to, to what Christian and, and Joe have said, he, he touched the lives of so many fans, not just of Liverpool, but from other clubs <clears> as well. <throat> Absolutely. Um, you know, he, he was a great football man. There's, there's, you know, it's very clear from seeing the outpouring of tributes right across the football world this morning. But it's not just the clubs that he had direct influence on. Um, you know, he, he was, in his latter career, became very much involved with UEFA and FIFA and obviously involved in, in, in the Red Bull franchise, and, and which Liverpool, I read somewhere that he was quite influential in helping engineer Sadio Mane and Naby Keita's move, moves to Europe, which obviously Liverpool are direct beneficiaries of, of now. But, you know, but to go further back, I mean, I, I'm a little bit older than, than Joe and Christian. You know, my, my formative memories really were in the mid-80s. But back then, I was lucky if I went to one or two games a season. I only started going regularly, really, in the early 90s, which is just as Liverpool started to go a bit crap. So I can relate to a lot of the, the likes of maybe the you know, generation slightly behind me because who lays it, who lays rain when it really kicked off in that treble year? They were kind of my formative memories of going to cup finals, going to big games. Liverpool, as Joe very, very eloquently put then, Liverpool's starting to feel like Liverpool. And you know, on on a personal level, it's it, it's funny how how often the fortunes of your football team can kind of dovetail with the fortunes of your own life. It doesn't always work out that way, but for me, it seems to have worked out that way more often than not. And what, Gerard took charge in the late nineties, just as I was kind of getting myself back on track after a bit of a wobbly spell. And the the the, the treble year, the climax of the treble year, really came during my my final weeks at university. Um, and I was unable to go to Dortmund for the UEFA Cup final because I had only had two final exams the day of the, the Alves game and the morning after. <clears throat> but I was able to, to get a ticket and go to Cardiff for the FA Cup final when the, the, the we daylight robbery really Arsenal battered us for 83 minutes and Michael Owen came through in the last seven. And I remember at the time, you know, there's, there's no question at the time that was the greatest day of my Liverpool supporting life. And even if in, in the, the two decades since, We've had some incredible moments under Rafa Benitez and obviously latterly under, under Jurgen Klopp. But that that period of time, and I think it's, it's quite telling that the likes of Carragher and Gerard, who obviously have been involved in some incredible happenings during their own career. Jake, Carragher in particular always talks about that treble season as the most exciting season he was ever involved in, even more than Istanbul, because that, that incredible feeling of momentum that Hule built, it gave Liverpool their pride back. And yeah, as I'm sure we'll get on to, when he took over, football was changing. Liverpool Football Club was changing. He had a very, very big, a very big task on his hands. But really, he was the man that didn't just, you know, he, he, he literally led Liverpool into the 21st century. But he also did very much in a, in a very in a practical and a kind of spiritual and an emotional sense as well. And I think he, you know, he 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 will quite rightly be regarded as a Liverpool great. And, you know, I, I can only echo what the lads have said. It, it is a truly sad day for, for our club today. And I think, you know, it, it's, there will be a lot of heartfelt tributes paid over the coming days and weeks, and, and rightly so. Yeah, absolutely, Christian. I mean, 
as Dan says, he was somebody who almost dragged Liverpool into the 21st century, sort of transformed the club in you know, many ways in terms of training, preparation, all sorts of things, which really paved the way for, for future successes in the future. Who knows what Liverpool would look like now if, if he hadn't have done those things back when he was at the club? Absolutely. I imagine a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, watch it on YouTube or whatnot, probably do remember. But for those who don't, I mean, you know, you can look at the, the Wikipedia pages and see that Liverpool were finishing around fifth, fourth, third in the Premier League before, you know, Gerard Houdet took over. But the culture just wasn't there. It wasn't quite right. It wasn't what Liverpool was meant to be about. They weren't winning trophies. They weren't really challenging for trophies. There was a, a real lack of direction, really, towards the end of Roy Evans. He was another great manager, of course, but real lack of direction towards the end of his reign. Um, I think what Gerard did at Liverpool was was akin to to what Arsene Wenger did at Arsenal. Now, you know he he will he won't go down, I suppose, as as much of a transformative figure as Arsene Wenger. You know he didn't have the longevity, unfortunately, of, of Wenger at Arsenal when when Gerard was at Liverpool. But it was the it was a very similar thing where here's this this, this you know this guy who sort of wasn't wasn't necessarily he, he didn't play football he you know he sort of he was a school teacher at Allsop in the 1970s he wasn't a, a famous name he wasn't a former Liverpool player um, and and in he comes to sort of completely strip out what what had become a bit of a a bit of a relic in terms of culture a bit of a it, it was old school but it was it was too far old school and it needed freshening up it needed um, reinvigorating it needed a, a basic a renovation from top to bottom. So, you know, at the time when he came in, um, you know, Liverpool didn't appoint, you know, managers like Gerard Houllier. That that isn't what you know Liverpool did. Um, that you know they obviously had the famed boot room, and and it was a massive step away from that sort of direction. So when he came in, he he, he pretty much, and you know, I, I suppose we can talk a little bit about when he sort of had this weird joint manager manager tenure with with Roy Evans. But once he got into sole charge. It was just a brand new start for Liverpool, a clean slate. The recruitment changed, the, the training changed, the demands and the expectations on how players behaved on and off the pitch changed. And that's not to sort of do down what was going on before because it was a it was very much a time where that was accepted, but football had started to change with Arsene Wenger. Alex Ferguson started getting onto that as well. And it was a much more continental sort of approach to football in this country. Liverpool, meanwhile, sort of was still behaving as if it was the seventies and eighties and early nineties. What Julier did was basically do what did what Arsene Wenger did, completely changed everything, realised the direction of travel in English football. And um, you know, if it wasn't for somebody like Wenger, for example, and obviously Alex Ferguson, I think we'd be talking about you know Gerard Julier as a, as a Premier League title winner. That that was the sort of impact that he had. And the change that he had on on the club, everything w was different when he came in, and as cliche as it is, laid the foundations for for what we see today, what we saw in Istanbul. You know, it, a lot of what Liverpool is today is because you know Gerard Julio came in and 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 wasn't scared to to ruffle a few feathers to to completely change uh, an institution's culture, and and for that, you know, it's it, it was a massive thing to do, and he deserves all the praise in the world for it. 
He also had a, a huge effect, Joe, on Jamie Carragher and, and Steven Gerrard, two massive players for, for Liverpool in that period. Obviously promoted both to the first team, made Steven Gerrard captain at the age of 23, which was a, a huge decision to make. But two decisions which, again, changed the course of Liverpool Football Club. There's no doubt about that. Certainly, I think, you know, I think both both men have paid tribute to him today. And I think if you if you read what they've said, you can tell he was almost like a father figure to them. I think Stephen Gerrard speak quite openly about how um, how close they were and how, you know, obviously they won they won the big one with Rafa, but I think Julier had a perhaps a bigger impact on their careers because of the way he was with them. And you know, I remember the decision to make Gerrard captain and um it was a brave decision. I don't think perhaps I think it's one of those decisions in Liverpool history that you know, things events moved on. They won. They won in Istanbul just afterwards, and before that, they won the treble. So perhaps it gets forgotten about a little bit. But it was such a brave decision at a time when Liverpool was struggling. Obviously, Gerrard was was coming through and starting to become that almost sort of superhero like Steven Gerrard that used to carry Liverpool a little bit, and it and it added like an extra element of maturity to his game. And don't forget, he took the captain captaincy at the time off someone like Sami Yedder, who'd been and, and still was afterwards. A, a, Brilliant, brilliant leader, a great servant, um, a true pro. And, um, you know, to do that at the, at the time when Liverpool was struggling a little bit, it was a brave decision, but it, it elevated Steven Gerrard to a whole other level entirely. And again, you know, I think it was an inspired decision. So, um, you know, and I think Carragher, he moved around a lot. And I, I think Carragher as a player probably only truly found his identity under Benitez as a centre-half. You know, he didn't really play centre-half under Julier. But I think he learned a lot under Julio. You know, he played left back throughout the travel season and played a bit of right back before that, you know, moved around a lot. But, you know, I think those years will have, will have helped shape and mould him. So, you know, he, he had a huge impact on the, those careers. And then he made signings, which, you know, again, he's one of those managers who I think that it's easy to look back and people will always like saddle him with the later signings, you know, some of the, the Sheerus and the Dials. But before that, it's one of the most inspired signings of Premier League history, you know. Sammy Hippier for the for the money they paid for him. Stefan Honcho at the time. Risa was a was a great player. Uh, Haman, you know, I, I could go on and on. McAllister, you know, I'm sure there's, there's there's loads of others that you know just they're, they're just the ones I can think of the top of my head. So, you know, in all aspects, he was he was a great man manager. Tactically, he was very very good. And in the transfer market, you know, I think he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. So, um, a great manager, a great manager, um, and. Yeah, I don't think I think he's one of those that like Christian said, because Alex Ferguson and, and, and um Arsene Wenger are around, perhaps isn't spoken as highly of in terms of the wider football and why the Premier League circles as perhaps he should be. But you know, in terms of Premier League managers, he's he's one of the very best. I think a lot of what we see with even today is is down to Julie and, and what we've experienced over the past twenty years is, is down to Gerard Julie. You know, he left what, sixteen years ago, now sixteen and a half years ago. But a, a lot of what we see, you know, Joe's just mentioned there about Stephen Gerrard. I don't think Stephen Gerrard becomes the player he does if, if he hasn't got Gerrard Hulier as a, as a manager. I don't think Jamie Carragher does. We see we see Michael Owen's best career years under Gerrard Hulier. Now, I know, obviously, he has a lot of injuries towards the latter part of his career, but nobody got a tune out of him the way that, that uh, Gerrard Hulier did. And even, you know, going back into, into the culture of the club, European nights like Roma, like Barcelona, um, these these nights were fantastic. In in the decade before Liverpool were getting knocked out of Europe to Bromby, 
they were getting knocked out by um, Genoa. They, they, you know, they were getting knocked out by a lot of bang average teams, to be honest. And 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 you know, sort of there's there's without that, without the without the wins over Barcelona and Roma, um, Porto, and obviously in Alaves as well. Uh, well, in Dortmund against Alaves. There's no way that this new Liverpool thing happens. You know, there's no way that that Rafa Benitez takes over over a side that are savvy in Europe and know how to to grind out results. So, you know, it, I think it, it can't be stressed enough there in terms of Gerard, Carragher, Owen, and also what's sort of going on in the stands and off the pitch. That you know, without Julia, there's there's probably not a lot of this, um, which which is which is some legacy really. I think, Dan, one of the, the things that I think about when I hear Gerard Hunier's name is that return after heart surgery against Roma. You could see just from the crowd and from the pictures, I'm mm. sure you were on plenty of those big European nights, maybe even that one itself, that there was just so much love for him at the time and, and since. It, it just underlines again just what a, a great person he was, as well as a great manager. Yeah, I mean, that really was an extraordinary night. I, I saw, you know, obviously, clips of that night have been getting shared left, right and centre. Uh, this morning, and <clears throat> I, I shared one myself. You know, just with the the idea of <clears throat> obviously you've got to remember this was March two thousand and two, so long before social media or Twitter or anything like that. <clears throat> it had been what it, it had been the October when he took ill, so we were talking four or five months on. We knew his his rehabilitation had, well, we knew he'd been involved by proxy on his phone with giving messages to Phil Thompson almost from as soon as he got out of off the operating table. So we knew he wasn't far away, and there had been a couple of rumours in the build-up to the Roma game, which was it, it was a new for, for two seasons. There was a, there was two there was a second Champions League group stage, and it worked out that Liverpool had to beat Roma by two goals to qualify for the quarterfinals. And there, there had been the odd little whisper that maybe Hule was going to be back <clears throat> for the Roma game, but nobody really knew for sure. And I said, yeah, it was a great atmosphere. The, 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 remember, we'd beaten Roma the year before in the UEFA Cup. <clears throat> And as the teams come out, there was you know there was there was a bit of a hubbub around the, the dugout area, <clears throat> and gradually <clears throat> this kind of awareness just spread around the ground like wildfire, like wildfire that he was hit, that he was there. And <clears throat> even watching it again today, and to be honest, every time I've seen it, pretty much since in the what eighteen years since then, it gives you goosebumps. And that that was that was the impact that that, that he had on, on the influence that he had. It, you know, it, it's worth remembering that, that you know when he. He, the man virtually gave his life for Liverpool. He was so obsessed and driven and determined from for win, from winning that he probably did take his eye off his own health, and and it nearly cost him. Um, I was just chatting to a mate this morning, and he was saying, you know, when you when you look at pictures of that Roma game, and he looked so thin and gaunt, and you know, as, as we may get onto, I think time kind of proved that he probably did come back a little bit too soon, and you could probably make a case to say he was never really quite the same again after that. Yeah, that, that that's maybe a story for a different day. But I made the point to my mate. Yeah, you, know, you can see it in you know Fabio Capella, the Roma manager at the time, gives him a big hug, and he you know, he doesn't look well at all. But I said to my mate this morning, imagine being the one to have to try and tell him that day, yeah, you're not going the match. Wild horses wouldn't have kept him away from Anfield that night. Such was his desire and passion for Liverpool, for winning, for success. That's what he that's what he he, he drove into his players, what he instilled into them all. Um, and it, 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 inevitably, that meant that sometimes he came out with the odd, unusual statements here and there. Yeah, you know, he, he would defend his players to the hilt. I mean, we all remember the incident when the, the, the famous Robbie Fowler goal celebration against Everton 
and he referenced a, a celebration Rigobert song had done and made himself look a bit daft that day. But he didn't care because his primary focus, and we've, you know, it's often seen as a strength when people talk about Alex Ferguson. The great managers defend their players to the hilt, and that's why those players will run through brick walls for them. And it's you know you, you can you can see that today. Even some of the players that maybe didn't get on with, after just as we were chatting, then I've seen Robbie Fowler's tribute. Now it's well documented that you know those two didn't always see eye to eye, certainly in the playing sense. And and it, you know Gerard ultimately sold him, but Robbie's put a lovely picture out with you know, with, with a very poignant message there. And he, he wasn't just a great manager, but he he was a great man. And those those values that he instilled into his players about winning and, and a certain way of going about your business. I think, as Christian said, absolutely laid the foundations for the modern Liverpool. And, you know, I, I don't think we've heard from Jurgen Klopp yet, but I'm sure it won't be, it won't be too long. And I'm sure, as, as always, he will find the right words to sum up this, you know, this very kind of emotive and, and, and poignant moment in the, in the club's history. You talk about him as a man as well, Dan. You know, one of the first things, or the first thing he did when he when he took sole charge of Liverpool, you know, because it was a very difficult position for them to come into in this weird joint managership. It's, it's yeah. so, so weird. First thing he did was give Phil Thompson a phone call and mm. get him on board. And this is somebody who knew the club. He was a European Cup winning captain and he absolutely knew. And, and, and we've seen with managers in the future, and, and this is not to do them any of the service, but we've seen when things aren't going quite right, you know, managers have turned against those who they who they had on their side. You know, they they they've got rid of people. They've basically thrown them under buses when things haven't been going right. Not just at Liverpool and other clubs, but it's happened at Liverpool as well, where there's been chopping and changing the backroom staff because oh, it's not my fault. You know, Gaffer, it's this, this person's fault. He stuck with Phil Thompson through all the way through. Likewise, with a lot of his backroom staff. Um, and, and again, you know, and I know, and we probably will talk about it. It wasn't quite there towards the end of his, his reign, but he always stuck with it. And that was a sign of a man who understood what the club was about because, as I say, he was a school teacher in Liverpool in the 70s, understood what this club meant to this city. And the fact that he sought out somebody and stuck with him throughout the good times and the bad, you know, he never forgot that. Phil Thompson and all of the backroom staff looked after him when he was unwell. And he certainly never forgot that when he came back, and then you know, sort of, they've been great friends to, to this day. I'm, I'm sure. So, it's um, you know, it, I think you've got to be not just a good manager to succeed at Liverpool. I think you've got to be a brilliant man, and you know, I think that, that that's what's on what you said, Dan. If I should just jump back in there as well, I think another key point to make about when he took over in this, as you say, it was a cracker's decision to 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 um, go with this joint manager's idea, and it says a lot about Gerard's innate decency as a human being the respect he had for Roy Evans and Peter Robinson, obviously, was the man that brought him in, that, that he didn't want to exactly kick Roy out. And it, it was it was a very, very difficult situation and far from, you know, the ideal start for him. But once he did take sole charge, everyone right, quite rightly said about what, he, what a, a, a decent human being he was. But there was a ruthless streak to him. There, there very much was the iron fist within the velvet glove. And as I think you alluded to earlier, Chris, you know, the, the, there was a culture at Liverpool where it wasn't quite right. Roy Evans was a great, great servant to Liverpool Football Club. But with football change, with the advent of the Premier League and superstar showbiz players with the money and the fame and everything else, it wasn't right behind the scenes. And we've all heard the stories about the pound coin game and win, win draw or lose, we're first on the booze. And, and one of the first things he did within that first very difficult season that ended up with Man United winning the treble, which just kind of illustrated further our fall from grace 
<clears throat> was address the issue of who was running the club. And, you know, we, at the time that the Liverpool captain was the self-styled governor, Paul Ince, um, and who lay... You, you made the point just earlier, Chris, you know, he came in and changed everything, and he did. But what he did do, he didn't make the mistake Graham Souness made of trying to do it too quickly. He came in, took a look, and gradually weeded out who he thought were the people that didn't need to be there, got rid of the likes of Ince and others, and installed the kind of lieutenants in there that he felt he could rely on. And went on to give us, you know, days and nights that, that we'll never forget. But it's, you know, for all the talk of what a lovely fellow he was, and he was, he also had, as all the great managers needed to be, that mean streak to, to, to make the hard decisions that football managers have to take. Can I, can I just say as well, I think both of you have just spoken about it. You know, you talk about values. And I think at Liverpool, we, we do put our managers on a pedestal. I think we do hero worship many of our managers, perhaps more so than other clubs you know I think that's the difference between say a Liverpool and a Chelsea there's no way you know Liverpool go through the, the same amount of managers because the fans just wouldn't let that happen you know that managers you know if they're loyal to us we're loyal to them and I think Hulier had those values and, and like you say he was loyal to his staff at times when times were hard he was loyal to some of his players when times were hard but he also had that steel and um, you know he's got a lot in common with the Klops and the, the Benitezes and before him the Dalglishes and the Paisley's the Shankleys of this world because they all had that. They had the, the loyalty, the charisma, they had all those values, but they also had the steel. And I think you need that to be a top manager. But he didn't tolerate anyone. Um, you know, I don't want to name names, but he didn't tolerate anyone that didn't treat Liverpool in the, the way they were meant to be treated in terms of players. You know, that if they didn't respect um show Liverpool the respect that the club deserves, they didn't stick around. And um, you know, I think that, that was one of his, his great values, and that's why he had a team that won so many things because you look at that treble season, you know, everyone had to play their part because of the amount of games they played. And, you know, there was such a great squad there and, you know, players that perhaps weren't playing that many games but came in and did jobs and scored goals and got involved in, in key moments. So, um, you know, I think that was one of his one of his great strengths. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, people will think this is just misty-eyed reminiscence. And, you know, the, those last two seasons didn't go to plan, although we did get the Champions League in the final season, which Liverpool then go on to win, of course, in, in 04 05. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't exactly the hottest Champions League race of all time, you know, but, you know, he still got it. But if you focus on, on the, those sort of two or three seasons when he was sort of building towards something gradually, and again, you say he didn't do it. You know, straight away, it wasn't like a transformation overnight. He had to work so hard on what he'd done then. And, you know, you look at sort of the, the run that he had. He, he nearly gets in the Champions League in 2000, but but they, they don't quite get over the line because they don't score a goal in the last five games, lose to Bradford on the final day. And then the 2001 season is just, it's just the ultimate sort of we go again, if you will. It was very much a didn't quite make it there. There were a couple of things that needed to be changed, but we'll manage to get through this. And, and, and if you look at, you know, we talk about sort of momentum and, and amazing runs and, and, and sort of, I always think about the 18-19 the season under Klopp when you sort of can put a line from probably mid-April up until Madrid and it's just the most incredible six weeks that you've ever had as a Liverpool supporter. Games that mean everything every single week. You know, you're going away to Barcelona, you're going away to Madrid and all this kind of thing. That run in 2001 when they're going after the UEFA Cup They've just uh, the FA Cup. They'd already won the League Cup, and obviously they're trying to get Champions League by finishing third. 
it's it's I'd, I'd love to see the numbers I'll probably dig into them while someone's talking but it just felt like every three games every three days there was a game that was of such significance and importance of Liverpool in Europe a home away in the Cups it was just absolutely relentless you know that only good managers can get through that you know and yes he had a brilliant squad but it was a squad that he helped build it was a squad that he helped cultivate and we spoke before he was getting the best out of players who probably would never play this well again. Emil Heskey, you know, to bring him up, Joe. He, he, he was top goal scorer. He was top goal scorer in the treble winning season. You know, and he's become a bit of the boss of jokes, really unfairly, in my opinion. He had him as top goal scorer for Liverpool that season, and and he's never really recaptured that form, Emil. Um, so, you know... If you if you sort of if you if you're not quite sure what type of manager he was and the sort of if he actually did ever achieve anything massive at Liverpool and if we we should be putting them alongside the likes of Benitez and Klopp in in the modern era, if you will, you know, take a look at that run that he had sort of between March and and, and May two thousand and one, unbelievable management um, and and sort of not not really bested, um at Liverpool for for a long time. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Christian alluded to it before, Joe, that the last couple of seasons maybe weren't at that peak, but that shouldn't take away from what he did achieve and from what he did build and, and leave behind once Liverpool and Julier did depart, uh, did part ways. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, I think what Christian said earlier about those European nights, you know, the, the Roma night, um, I think he did pave the way for many ways and for, for Benitez in terms of getting Liverpool back on the European map, getting them back in the Champions League getting those European nights to become a thing again. And um, without that, you know, they're not, the Istanbul wouldn't happen. So, you know, it, it, they were two difficult seasons at the end. And, um, you, know, it, you know, some bad signings were made and, you know, I think things went against them. But, yeah, you know, Owen, we talked about Owen, he wasn't quite the same player, couldn't get fit. And I think it was very difficult for him. Obviously, Chelsea were starting to grow then and become the, the team that they were. So, you know, it was tough, but, I mean, he left a legacy and, and you want all managers to leave a legacy, don't you? You don't want to have to tear it up and go again. And many of the things that Julio left behind, you know, in terms of the way the club was shaped, um, was, was really good. And, and don't forget, in those two seasons, you know, I, I wanted to, to, to bring this up because I don't think it's a, a night, many, well, sorry, a day many people will talk about. But that League Cup win, and many people might sneer at the, the League Cup, but the League Cup win in 2003 over Man United was one of the best days it would be up there in my personal top five of best days, perhaps top three um, for personal reasons of supporting Liverpool. It was just an incredible day. And, and you know, look, we're all, we all take football very seriously, but at the end of the day, football's about enjoying yourself. Football's about memories. It's about, you know, it, it, it doesn't always have to be trophies. It can just be happy moments in your life. And one of the happiest moments in my life was standing with my dad watching Liverpool win that that League Cup in 2003. The roof was on in the Millennium Stadium, which was a cracking stadium. It was a crap season. United had, had got back back ahead of Liverpool and and Liverpool did a job on them. And um, it was just an incredible day. I, I still, to this day, remember it, like, you know, picture perfectly. And and I think that's what you want. You want your managers to leave a legacy of days like that and, and memories for you and, you know, Julier gave me so many great memories growing up that you know that's why I'm so gutted today because you think you know never met the man but you know part of him part of him will be with you because of, because of those days so yeah I mean 
that was when Liverpool were really, really bad at the end of Julio's reign. But what an incredible day that was. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is exactly it, isn't it, Dan? It's those individual moments that, you know, two decades on, you look back, you know exactly where you were, you know exactly what you were doing at that point in time. And that is largely down to, to the job that he did and the way that he got those players to play. Exactly. Joe, so right there. Football is about memories. It's about relationships. It's about people. It's about the times you have with your with your friends, your family, the people you don't even know by name, but you see at the match year after year to let on to. And, you know, you just know that, you know, a lot of people will be feeling very much the same way today. I, I, I mentioned before that, you know, Gerard's arrival kind of coincided with 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 a bit of a resurge in renaissance myself in my, in my own life. And things things got so bad for a while, I actually gave my season ticket up. Now, Gerard's first game in sole charge against, Le- against Leeds was my first game back at Anfield in about 18 months, which ironically is probably the longest gap I've not been to Anfield until this Wednesday because I've been lucky enough to get a, t- get a ticket in the ballot for the for the Tottenham game. But even though it, it, was, it was a strange game, Liverpool played reasonably well, scored with 20 minutes to go. And then Alan Smith, little, a, a young player who'd never even played for Leeds before, came on, scored with his first touch. And Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank got a couple and Leeds won 3-1. And even though that, that that's a game that, that sticks out for me, even though it probably isn't for, for too many people. The, the previous couple of weeks, had been it was becoming painfully evident that the Evans and Hooley joint managership was not going to work out. And nobody really knew how it was going to play out from that. So we, I remember walking away from the ground with a mate thinking, well, all right, we've got beat there. But but a new era <clears throat> has started. And as, as mentioned, you know, that, that was a very difficult season for Liverpool. I think we ended up losing 14 games that season. There was a, a, a terrible night in the April, the night that Man United won in Juventus to reach the Champions League final. And Liverpool lost the home to Leicester City when ex-Everton Carthorse Ian Marsh, who was about 43 by that point, scored in the last minute. Um, only a couple of months beforehand, Liverpool had been beaten by United in the in the in the fourth round of the the FA Cup in a match that went on to become a hideous forerunner of the Champions League final later that season when Liverpool United trailed for virtually the entire game and scored twice in stoppage time. But I, I, one thing I always remember about that United Cup game was Julie saying, and we everyone was devastated afterwards. I promise you, one day we will we will come back and beat Manchester United. The following season, as, as, as Christian said, you know, with Liverpool, it was a really good season that I thought Hulé's first full season in charge, just with a really sad ending where they couldn't score a goal for the last five games and, and limped over the line, didn't finish in the Champions League spots. But the but we got a draw Old Trafford in the March, I remember. And ironically, Guy Clark, you can you can check this out on the on the Blood Red channel. Myself and Guy Clark have been doing a podcast series over the course of this series because it is 20 years this year since the treble season. And we only recorded the December one a couple of days ago. And it's this week, really, that there were two games that you could arguably were possibly the most pivotal week of Julio's reign. It had been a decent season getting up to Christmas. Liverpool were still in all the Cups, obviously, but they still had a few dodgy league results and had lost at home to Ipswich only a couple of a few weeks before. Ipswich were in the, in the, in the European places. And in the space of six days, Liverpool won at Old Trafford for the first time in 10 years with a Danny Murphy free kick and then battered Arsenal 4-0 at Anfield two days before Christmas. And the the infusion of belief that that gave, I think, for the team and certainly for the supporters, that this wasn't some kind of flash in the pan, that the, the foundations were being put down, that, that Liverpool could compete with the best. 
<clears throat> obviously went on to bear fruit as as 2000 turned into 2001. And there's there's many many uh, memories that that Gerard, who they gave me in Liverpool supporters, that me personally I'll I'll take with till to the grave. But the, the, if I had to pick one, it, it would certainly be the two the FA Cup final against Arsenal. It was the first time I'd ever seen Liverpool win the cup. I'd been to Wembley five years before for the Cantona final, and to be honest, for 83 minutes it looked like a carbon copy. Liverpool didn't turn up, but the difference was this Liverpool team <clears throat> had a resolve and a resilience that wasn't there. Under, under under Roy Evans, who arguably possibly had a more talented side in terms of raw ability, but the application and the mental fortitude that Hulé bred into his players, I think, brought you know we saw it there in Spades in Arsenal, and as soon as the Gunners gave Liverpool the merest crack of light, they forced it open, and you know Liverpool have had some great seasons and some great players since then, but anybody that lived through that treble season will will revere it, I think, till the end of time. We, uh, we 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 lose at Leeds. I've just been having a look. So we, you know, we lose at Leeds on Good Friday, um, oh, and that was a, that was the battle. That was the battle for uh, that was the battle for Faird, I believe it was. De- it was yeah. definitely sort of build as that. And then three days later, they go to Everton, and the and, and the Gary Mack happens um, in the last minute. And then three days later, they they beat Barcelona. You know, three days between like a, a season defined and certainly in the league. Uh, Merseyside derby at a time, by the way, Liverpool hadn't won a Goodison in ten years. It wasn't a very kind fixture for them. And then for three days later to come up against a Barcelona side that you know, okay, they went to Barcelona in 2011, but they had players in that team such as Rivaldo, Clivert, Overmars, uh, Pep Guardiola, De Boer, Pepe Reina and goal, Koku, Puyol, Pretty. I mean, that is a that's an incredible team. So to to sort of knock them out, and then it just becomes. What can Liverpool do? Because they're already in the in the the, um, the FA Cup final. They're now in the UEFA Cup final. They're gunning for the the Premier League and and the, the top three. And, and something that's forgotten in all of that is that Liverpool actually only dropped two more points in I think it's the last six games in the Premier League. So, so the, 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 I think they dropped points against Chelsea um, and the penultimate game, and then they have to go to Charlton after you know. Just imagine that this, the base, this wouldn't happen ever again. I don't think because of the way. Modern football. I know this is modern football back then as well, but you know, you think about how much sort of how many gaps there are in between finals now. You know, Liverpool won the the, the, the Champions League in June in 2019. That's how sort of far they give it because it's such a showpiece. They basically had to win the FA Cup final four days later, win the UEFA Cup final, and then three days later qualify for the Champions League. I mean, if that that's probably one of the most spectacular weeks that you'll ever sort of see. Um, and from a Liverpool perspective, probably won't ever sort of be replicated because the, the calendars just don't match up like that anymore. It's just not how it's done. So it's it's very much sort of the one of the greatest weeks in Liverpool history, and and it'll sort of never ever ever sort of happen again. I don't think so. It's something to to cherish and savor for a long time. That good isn't yeah. Derby that, that Christian's just mentioned. Again, it, it makes you think, doesn't it? That. Obviously, that the, the enduring image from that game for me is Julier's smile. You know, like it, it, it's probably to me the enduring images of, of, of Julier's entire reign, that that big grin at Goodison. But I mean, I think younger Liverpool fans I mean, might not realise is that they're quite used to beating Everton now. But Liverpool didn't beat Everton in derbies for for a good while there in the nineties, and under Julier they started doing it regularly. Um, you know, Liverpool didn't compete with United for a good while. Under Julio, they started doing it regularly. They didn't compete in Europe. They didn't have those big European nights. 
under Hule, they started doing it more regularly, you know, and they didn't compete for trophies. So I think, you know, Hule was really the turning point for Liverpool as a club. And, and ever since then, I, I know, obviously, they, they, they had a barren spell again, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in terms of in the last sort of 20 years. But, you know, I think the, the turning point for Hule was, for, for Liverpool was getting Hule in and getting them back into those those big occasions and, and getting Liverpool to turn up again. Because before that, whether it's the mindset, the preparations or whatever, Liverpool just didn't turn up on those big occasions, whether it be derbies or cup finals or whatever. Yeah, just 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 one thing I, I'd want to add into that. You know, it, it, I think it's fair to say who they put Liverpool back on the European map again. You know, Dortmund in two thousand and one was the first final since since nineteen eighty five and Heysel, and he gave he helped give the club its pride back, its self belief back, um, and just the other side of it as well. Obviously, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about. <clears throat> because you know, the the club have moved from, from Melwood to Kirby, and the importance of that, and and everything, you know, how important it is to have everything tied up together. But the and yeah, you know, it, it's twenty years on now. But the modern Melwood really is testament to Gerard Hulley. He was the one that basically almost similar to Bill Shankly when he came in the fifth, when he came in the late well, nineteen fifty nine, nineteen sixty, and said this isn't good enough for what we want. And he, you know, possibly Hulley had to crack, had to crack slightly fewer heads than what Shankly did in the 60s. But he, he basically had to, again, use his the, the forcefulness of his personality to get the right things put in place to renovate Melwood so it would be a training facility fit for a football club of the 21st century. You look at the Liverpool, you know, in the in the, in those early days of Hooghly, it was very apparent to me how far Liverpool had fallen behind to Manchester United on the field and off the field. And 20 years now, 20 years on, you look at it, and whereas Manchester United are a club that seemingly buy players more because of how their social media presence or how many the the, the, the marketing potential, Liverpool is a is a is a football club of the twenty first century, and I think it was Gerard who laid the put put down the first foundations of that. Yes, absolutely. Echo every single word of that. A touching tribute from all three of you. And of course, plenty more tributes across the Liverpool Echo website as well. This is the sad news this morning that former Liverpool manager Gerard Hunier has passed away at the age of 73. Well, certainly not the main talking point today, but let's have a quick discussion about the Champions League draw. Gerard Houllier, as Dan alluded to earlier, was actually an advisor to the Red Bull group since 2012. Liverpool, as we said earlier, paired, of course, with RB Leipzig in the last 16 of this season's competition. Those two games will take place in February and March. Liverpool will play on February the 16th and March the 10th in those matches. Christian, I'll come to you first on this one. It's a uh, a very exciting, entertaining draw, I think, to, to come for Liverpool. What do you make of Leipzig? Yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. It's it's probably it's a new it's a new club. Liverpool have never played them before. That's really really fascinating to me. And obviously, there's there's such a narrative running through the idea of Liverpool versus RB Leipzig. You know, obviously, the they played the sister club in um, in RB uh, Salzburg or Red Bull Salzburg uh, last season. Um, they've obviously sort of started to, to build up this relationship off the field in terms of recruitment, because you look at Takumi Minamino, Nabi Keita, uh, Sadio Mane to a, to a certain degree. He obviously stopped off at Southampton before coming to Liverpool. It's a club that's that's being run in a very similar way to Liverpool. Um, you know, the focus on, on analytics, 
on um, efficiency in the transfer market. And also the idea of good coaching is is one of the, the most important assets that a football club can have. And, you know, in, in New Year Nagelsmann, they've got one of the best uh, the best young coaches around. And when I do say young, I think this is probably the first time. Um, well, no, because they played them against Hoffenheim, but he's still the only manager who Liverpool have faced who's actually younger than me. So that's a really, really, it's going to be a real gut punch when that's going on next month. Um, but yeah, I think it's... It, it's. I don't think it's as hard potentially as what it would have been last season. I don't think Leipzig are necessarily at the level that they were. Um, they obviously lost Timo Werner. Uh, they've, they've they've adequately replaced them in terms of goals, but maybe not necessarily um, as, as an individual. It's also going to be interesting because obviously there's there's rumblings around Upamecano. Um, I think it's Kanate as well, who's who's the other sort of centre back there. They've got a, a really interesting team of players, um, but. I think Liverpool have definitely got enough in the locker to, to get through this over the two legs. You'd only have to look at the fact that Manchester United beat them 5-0 uh, at Old Trafford to say that they can concede goals. Um, they look very, very shaky towards the last minute, 10 minutes of the um, of the final group game decided against Man United. And I think when you've got a, a squad that's as, as young as they are, albeit young and talented, there's definitely a chance for Liverpool and their team of grown-ups, if you will, to, to really assert themselves, and I, I, I expect them to do that over the two legs. But it'll be a it'll be a really interesting, fascinating couple of games. Yeah, absolutely. Loads of, of narratives to get into there, Joe. As Christian says, Naby Keita, Mane, Minamino, all those links with the Red Bull Group. Ralph Ranić as well, a, a huge influence on the way that Jurgen Klopp has set his Liverpool team and, and teams that he's managed up in the past. So. Absolutely. Loads for, for us to go into in the, the next couple of months. Definitely. I, I think it's almost one of those annoying games where it's quite a dangerous tie. You know, as Christian's just mentioned, I think I expect Liverpool to get through. I mean, obviously, we'll know near the time in terms of injuries and whatnot. And January might change things a great deal for both clubs. But, you know, Liverpool will be overwhelming favourites. But it's it's trickier than I think many people perceive it to be. So I think it's one of those ties where, you know... It's, it's certainly not a gimme for Liverpool and they're going to have to be at the very best to get through. Leipzig can be very good going forward. But like Christian said, I watched that United game and they were really hanging on towards the end. So it'd be interesting. I think it's a massive, almost, um, chance for Nagelsmann to, to sort of impress. I mean, obviously, this Hoffenheim team um, had a chance a few years back, but you know this, this is a few years on and he seems to be, along with Gerrard and, and Linders, the man that is constantly linked with the Liverpool job when Klopp eventually does leave. Um, you know, obviously again that's all theoretical, but I do think for a man as ambitious as Julian Nagelsmann, he will be certainly hoping to impress against Liverpool and, and take that scalp. So I'll be very interested to see how, how the games pan out. I'll be very interested to see whether he's as good as some of the hype suggests. And I'll be very interested to see what sort of suit he's got on the touchline because he's had some uh, <laughs> some real hits and misses, hasn't he? So um yeah um it's going to be a it's going to be a really good tie. I'm, I'm quite quite pleased with it. Um, you know, I, I sort of looked at one of the, one or two of the others, but um, but we can wait for now. I think this one's a, a good football and tie. Yeah, it could be a, a big week that down Leicester, then Leipzig, and then Everton. <clears throat> that was the thing that just struck me there, Matt. Actually, the you know, the <clears throat> the the games either side uh, of the first leg. Um, it's certainly well, and, and Man City the week before that Leicester game. So it's a really testing. <coughs> starts of February for Liverpool, you would like to think um, the squad will be looking a little bit healthier by that stage. And who knows, they might even have brought in a player or two 
in the January transfer window. I think you know, most people would agree they certainly need to in a defensive position or two, but that's probably one for for another for another another podcast. It's you know that like Christian mentioned, that I'm kind of intrigued by the fact Liverpool have never played Leipzig, Leipzig before. Um, they, they are a relatively new club. Um, I was particularly gratified that, to be honest, I had my heart set on Munch and Gladbach for the kind of nostalgia sense. <clears throat> you know, when, when they got through last week, you know, Liverpool's first European Cup and first UEFA Cup were won against Munch and Gladbach. That's this is the first time they've ever uh, got through to the, the last stage of the Champions League. So the, obviously, I know, I'm, of course, with Ray Clements passing away recently, I think that's why my mind went there automatically, probably like a lot of people's did. When I was watching the draw, I think it, it obviously a lot, a lot of news this morning about Hule and I kind of had it on one screen and was looking at Hule stuff on another. And at one point, I thought Liverpool had drawn Atletico and got a really horrible feeling in my stomach because um, there is a part of me that would like to see Liverpool right that wrong from last year because uh, you know it was it was it was a very dramatic couple of ties, but I still feel Liverpool were very unlucky not to go through. But I think given the way this season has gone, and particularly now having had a look at the, the way the domestic fixtures look in early February, um, I'm, I'm certainly gratified that we don't have the gnarliness of Simeone and Atletico with added Luis Suarez, of course, this season into the mix to contend with uh, that stage. Although if that does happen later in the season, then we'll deal with it as and when. But um, yeah, that, that, I'd agree with Joe that it, it's not the gimme that maybe some people will be thinking it is. But... Um, particularly with the second leg being at Anfield, Leipzig will come and have a go. I'm sure they will, but I think I can't profess to know an awful lot about them. But they seem, on the face of it, to, to be a team Liverpool are more suited to be playing against, certainly than Atletico. So um, it's it's just lovely to be in the, the knockouts. It's almost you know it wasn't so long ago that even just getting to the group stages felt like a big deal for Liverpool. We now feel like we belong in the knockout stages of the Champions League, and I think um, Leipzig will probably have more to fear from the draw than we do, but um, you can't take anything for granted. Uh, and it'll be a fascinating time when it comes around early into next year. Yeah, plenty more football, of course, to play before then, starting, Christian, with Tottenham. I know you've got to get off in, in just a couple of minutes' time, but has that Tottenham game taken on a, a bigger importance, do you think, after the weekend's draw with Fulham? Absolutely. It, 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 I wouldn't say it becomes a must-win, but it does feel like there is a... A situation here where you know if you're looking at Liverpool there if they're two points ahead of Spurs and then going into the Anfield game, um, you know a, a win would have been fantastic because then they go five clear potentially. Um, but now you're sort of looking at Liverpool and, and and the fixtures have started to ease up a little bit for Liverpool. I think initially when they weren't quite you know at, at the pace at the top of the at the top of the table, sort of looked at the really difficult start. But they've had Brighton away, they've had Fulham away. They'll have now played Tottenham at home, so obviously they'll have to go back to Tottenham. Um, they've got a, a fairly nice December coming up after that, although, you know, trips to Crystal Palace is, well, it's, it's meant to be never nice, but I mean, I think they've won there the past five, so it's may, maybe not. But um, ultimately, you know, if, if Liverpool can, can sort of steam three points clear of Tottenham, who, who are sort of considered one of Liverpool's title rivals this season, that'd be absolutely massive. And, and if they don't, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of football still to play. But at the same time, you know, you're looking at it, 13 games played. And, and, the, and the big thing I'd sort of look at, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily a concern and not in this sort of season, but 13 games played and six of them haven't, you know, they failed to win in six of them. That's quite a high percentage for the Liverpool side that we're, we're very used to seeing win and kind of relentlessly. There is that asterisk of the fact that I think this is a, is a bit of a wild season, to be honest. And 
it's it's going to be. Um, I think it's going to be like this for everyone. I don't think there's any surprise that the four Champions League sides, for example, look so tired at the weekend. Um, but yeah, I think Liverpool. Ultimately, I think if a team can put together a run of seven or eight wins on the spin, I think they've got an absolutely massive chance of winning this Premier League title. And looking at the fixtures coming up, to be honest, Fulham was the start of that. You know, Liverpool had an opportunity there. Um, if they can start that against Tottenham and then move on into uh, into December and January, up until I think they've got a massive home game mid-January with Manchester United, they can win every game between now and then. Certainly won't be easy, certainly not say they're going to do it. But if they can do that, then they'll certainly have a massive chance of retaining the, the Premier League title. Um, so I suppose the first step there is, is Tottenham, but it certainly won't be easy. Yeah, certainly is a, a big one for Liverpool on Wednesday. Just quickly before we finish, myself, Dan and Joe will pick our teams for Spurs. I assume that we're all going to go for, for Alisson in goal, gents. I'll start with you, Joe. Do you want to uh, pick a, a back four for us? Yeah, so Alisson goal. Um, I mean... It, it, it all depends on Joel Matip, doesn't it? Um, who you know, if he's if he's going to be fit, um, I think automatically starts, and then you you just go same again. Uh, Trent, Fabinho, Matip, and Robertson. But if he's not fit, personally, I think you go with a Nat Phillips. Um, you know, I, I prefer a centre half in there, especially you know, considering Fabinho's not you know in inverted commas technically a centre half, is he? But you know, he's played very, ever so well there, so. Matip's fit, Matip, if not Phillips. Um, I mean, I know we're running out of time, but just to say, I mean, I, I think you know, after watching the Fulham game, Liverpool look a bit shot. And I agree with Christian. I think that the next month is, you know, on paper, kind to Liverpool. But I almost think if they can get through to Christmas around the top of the table, even if they're level on points, a point off, two points off, um, and try and get in the January window, get active, get players back fit, um, I still think they'll be massive favourites for the second half of the season. But, you know, I think now, I just think they look shattered. I think the players look shattered. I think the, the amount of games that they've had, plus the injuries that they've had, are starting to really catch up on them now. Um, you know, I think it was, a, it was a good effort in Fulham in the second half just to, to keep that ticking over. So, um, you know, Matip is one of those players that just doesn't look capable of playing this, this amount of games in this short time. And to be honest, I do think, I think it was a failure of Liverpool in the summer not to recognise that Matip hasn't played a lot of games throughout his Liverpool career. And, um, you know, to think that they could get through, you know, I, I do think it was a bit of a failure, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but you don't want to make too many criticisms of the, the way this Liverpool club's team and club has been run because they've been run so well. But I do think it's one slight regret they must have. But yeah, that, that's taken away from what my back four was, which is just same again if Matip's fit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you'll agree with that one, Dan. Trent did come off against Fulham <clears> and struggled a little bit, but I'm sure he'll be straight back into the side for this one. Who are you going to go for in midfield? <clears throat> well, I mean, yeah, I'm almost in inclined to go same again there as well. I mean, there aren't a, a massive load of options. We don't know about Naby Keita's fitness. <clears throat> Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was on the bench at Fulham, which was good to see for the first time this season. I think he, he will definitely have a part to play for Liverpool in the coming weeks, but I'm not sure throwing him straight into a, a game um, like Tottenham at home would, would be the right thing to do to bring him back. You know, <clears throat> Henderson, providing he's not having being asked to fill in at centre-back, is 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 a gimme um, in the middle of the park. I think Ginny Wijnaldum, Mr Perpetual Motion, the Duracell man, I think he, he's, he's got to keep on going. And to be honest, I think Curtis Jones, 
is in the team on merit and deserves to stay in the team on merit. I think he was outstanding in the second half yesterday. I think if that if that goal when he ran from the halfway line had gone in, uh, I think I'd still be running around Sefton Park now. To be honest, it, it was. It, um, but it, it it's the, it, the it, what I was impressed more than anything else. Second half was the drive and the responsibility shown when it was a bad day at the office. Liverpool were not at the races. Fulham. And Fulham, yeah, I think Fulham have been forgotten in all this. Fulham deserve a lot of credit. Fulham, Fulham have been pretty good the last couple of weeks and made it really hard for Liverpool yesterday. But Curtis decided, no, he was relentless. We are going to keep going. We are going to keep probing. We will find the goal from somewhere. It, and it was him that won the free kick that led to the penalty <clears throat> with, with, with a lovely little shimmy on the edge of the box. So he's played a lot of games, but he's young. He's running on adrenaline. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I think that would be my three. Henderson, Wijnaldum, Curtis. Yeah, absolutely in agreement with that. Do you agree with that, Joe? And, and would you go for the usual front three? Yes and yes. Um, go along with all that Dan just said about Curtis Jones. I think, I think we've spoken a few times about the maturity he's played with this season. You know, it, it was a wonderful run, wasn't it? It was up out of his seat thinking, come on, just score. Um, and I was I was pretty pretty gutted he didn't get that one in. But yeah, uh, I, just, I mean, Liverpool don't really have a, a lot of options. I think I would have probably have gone for Jota. Had um had he been fit, but again, he's not fit. Um, I thought Minamino did all right second half, but I still don't think he's he's doing enough to really force his way into the team. I don't quite know where his best position is at this stage, um, and I'm not convinced taking a say a Firmino out for a Minamino is really making Liverpool any better. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because I almost do want to freshen it up mm. because they didn't start well at Fulham, but. But who is that? Is, who is that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Oxide Chamberlain's one. That, that it's almost tempting to say, "Yeah, you get him in," but I don't think it's the the wisest calls to throw him in in a game like Tottenham. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully he can come off the bench and and and, and get some get some minutes. But yeah, I think it's got to be the same front three. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see Oxlade-Chamberlain at some point, be it on Wednesday or possibly Crystal Palace next weekend. And I'm sure Liverpool will be drawing up plans to remember Gerard Houllier during that game on Wednesday as well. Once again, our thoughts here at Blood Red and the Liverpool Echo are with Gerard Houllier's friends and family at this difficult time. But from myself, Matt Addison, from Christian Walsh, from Joe Rimmer and from Dan Kay. Until next time here on the Blood Red channel, thank you for joining us and goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.